and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, g'day, g'day. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie Pastor. Welcome to our program today. And a huge, big, warm welcome to you, Hunty. Thanks, mate. So good to be here. It's been a busy day for you so far. It's been a very busy day, especially as uh, you decided to surprise me with, let's go live on Facebook. Okay, now let's say, let, let's talk about the surprise for a moment. Yes, let's. What did we decide? Let's talk about it. Surprise. What did we together decide we would do with our next yes. Facebook, uh, yes. Facebook, we, Facebook, our next program we here on We agreed that we would do it the next time, not this time. No, no, no. We agreed this time. Okay. <laughs> Unless you get back in your time machine, it's this time. I bet you, I bet you if we took a straw vote, you'd win this because the public sympathy is with you. But take it. I from, always have public sympathy. Take it from me, <laughs> listeners. It was this time, the very next time we decided to okay, do it. But right. the point. Here's the point. Here you is. did, under pressure, do it. Yes. Let's give a jabber. Let's start the program. So if you were to go to, uh, where would you go now? Facebook. Yep. We're on Aussie Pastor Facebook page, but that's a link through from the Faith FM Facebook page. So you can actually watch us on, actually, <laughs> when you really think about it, who would want to watch both of us <laughs> on radio for two hours? Well, uh, listeners, I can give you proof that I never planned to be on air today. Look, my shirt's got holes in it and I, haven't, and I haven't had a shave. If you hadn't admitted that, nobody would have known. <laughs> no one would have known if you hadn't admitted that. Anyhow. So is that a known goal for me then? Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> well, look, um, welcome to the program. Big Big day in history today, really. Sure. Um, looking through some of the things that are happening. 1963, Alcatraz. You know what Alcatraz is, Hunty? Yep, been to Alcatraz. What an awesome place. Have you been there? Yeah, I went there and went through a tour. Uh, I, I've, I've seen it because I used to live not far outside of San Francisco. Alcatraz is a great big prison. It's actually a federal prison, so it's owned by the U.S. government, not the state. Over in, in America, like Australia, the states run the prisons. Well, Alcatraz, and, and, and there are some federal prisons in Australia that the federal government runs, I guess, too. I'm not absolutely sure on that. But in in America, they have federal and state prisons. This was a federal prison where the, where the real bad dudes were put. Very few people ever escaped from there. I think three guys did once, never seen again. Probably got... You know what the problem with escaping from Alcatraz? When you get over What's the that? walls, hunted. You know what? You get over the walls. Then you, you've yes, got what? You've got a, an, a, a, an ocean to swim through. It's only a kilometre or so. Couple of kilometres, not far. Pretty bad, um, pretty bad weather to swim though. The waves are always pretty high. Uh, not too bad in San Francisco Bay. Not too bad. One word: sharks. Oh yeah, that's a good point. They are big, big, great whites lurk through that bay. I think it's a breeding ground actually. Ooh. Um, and those three guys escaped, never seen again. But it closed in 1963. Probably a good thing, but it was a it was a fairly bad bad place if you were a prisoner to have to be. Um, in 2006, Jack Dorsey. You know who that is? Jack Dorsey. Is he a famous singer? Hollywood guy, maybe? Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter, sent his first tweet. Sorry, just repeat that. When was the first tweet sent? 2006. Ah, right, got it. Jack Dorsey, yeah. Yep. In 1990, Namibian... Have you been to Namibia in, uh, in Africa? Yep. 
pretty sure. <laughs> He's been to so many countries in Africa he can't remember. Namibian Independence Day, uh, that they were under the control of the Germans and the South Africans for 106 years. So if you're Namibian, happy Independence Day. Uh, this one, 1980, John Carter boycotted the Moscow Games. So 1980s, what, 1980, 2010, 43 years ago and we were arguing with the Russians and we're still arguing with the Russians. So, you know, Hunty, I was thinking to myself, is there anything more foolish and crazy than modern-day war? Yeah. It's no, just madness. It, you're right. I mean, well, what's the point? Why all the loss of life? Why would Ukraine and Russia want to fight? I, I mean, I'm pretty open on this. Russia, just... Leave them alone, Ukraine. Give them their uh, give them their integrity with their borders and let them live. If you look at all the um, the natural resources they've got in Ukraine, that's a prize. But that that's, makes no sense. And and even with the natural resources, Russia's the biggest country in the world. Then on top of that, why would the United States and China want to fight? Or the United States mm-hmm. and North Korea, or North Korea and South Korea, or the Azerbaijanians and the Armenians. Uh, why fight? This is. I was thinking about it last night. It's old men sending young men mm. to their deaths. Well, China's come out and said we want to rule the world. That's not. That's not a surprise. I don't think China wants to rule the world. I'd like to see where you got that comment. Pundits, mate. Reliable pundits. Yeah, reliable pundits. China certainly wants to push her weight around. I don't think she wants to rule the world. Um, 1960, Sharpville Massacre. 70 murdered in South Africa. Um, these were in the times where um, South Africans were... Uh, it, it was apartheid and black South Africans were righteously fighting for their freedom. Um, A very dark time in South Africa. Mandela was the leading light there, of course, great man. He led South Africa to freedom for black and white, and uh, it's a different place, although I think South Africa still has its problems. But 1960, before you or I were born, Mm. that massacre in South African history at least will go down in infamy. Anyway, that's this day in history. Hunty, uh, what's on board for us today? We have a great program today. Um, we've got a special guest, uh, Harold Harker. He's a regular. He has a great story for us. He's actually going to be talking about a guy called General Berthier, who was a Huguenot, uh, Protestant, and one of Napoleon's top generals. Really, really interesting story. He goes into Rome and takes the Pope prisoner. Amazing. Really, so the the tables are turned. So you got a Protestant now taking a Catholic Pope prisoner for hundreds of years before it had been the other way, and it's actually biblical. So it's going to be a very interesting story. That one. We've also got um, a continuation with our guest Robbie Bergen, who was on last week with a very interesting continuation on our segment about hell. Yeah, the problem with eternal hell. And it's a really we had we had a good time, and I'm going to throw some really hard, really hard Bible texts at him today. The Bible texts that those who believe in eternal hell, which I happen not to, I don't believe God is like that. The Bible texts of those who believe in an eternal hell, those Bible texts that they use, I'm going to throw at him. So we'll see how he how he uh, how he goes, Hunty. Yeah, we've also got. Um the Israeli Jiu-Jitsu champion. 
for an interview. Well, actually, that guy, that guy went to number three in the world. Wow. And uh, it's his story to Christ. And that's in line with our Bible study, actually. We're going to look at a little more about Jesus. You know, I, I can't stop looking at Jesus. Amen. He is fantastic. He is wonderful. Um, and I love to look at Jesus. And I've got this thing at the moment where I'm on YouTube. And I'm watching the Messianic Jews. These are Jews who've made decisions for Jesus Christ. You know, in the last 10 years or so, 500,000 Jews have made decisions to follow the, to follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is awesome. But it's in a very hostile environment. And so this guy is over there sharing Jesus because... Um, a lot of the uh, uh, Jewish teachers, the rabbis, the Jewish people themselves, are, for whatever reason, are very anti-Jesus. And so to share Jesus is not easy. And this is a story about how a champion jiu-jitsu Israeli fighter becomes a believer of Jesus, and it's a good one. And what about um, uh, Ask the Aussie Pastor, Hunty? Yeah, I was going to say, I'd like to give a plug for our segment, Ask the Aussie Pastor. Um, if you'd like to send these your questions, we would love to have them. You can send them to us one of two ways. You can text them to us on 0488880851 or you can email them to us on info at aussiepastor.com. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing, look, let's give Hunty a break this morning. I'm watching him at work now. He's hosting this program. Well, it's actually this afternoon, but, but sure. Yeah, we'll sorry. This morning. Well, that's, that's, that's uh, strike one against me, isn't it? That's all right. We came in this morning. That's the truth. Yeah, I started at 7, so I've been here a while. And what time do I get here? About 8.40 a.m. <laughs> so I've been here too. <laughs> true, 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 true. He's hosting the program. He's producing the radio program. And he's also, would it be fair to say, Hunty, you're switching yes, the video? Switching, switching myself, hello, into the live stream for the video. Yeah. So, and he's old. He's not young anymore. <laughs> This is, yeah, look at all these wrinkles. This is not easy. Cracks. This is not easy for him to do. And so our, our sympathies are with you. We just want to let you all know that we support you, Hunty, and you're doing a great job. Right. You've got tw- you've got twenty seconds left to pray. You're going to pray. Oh, I'm going to pray. Yeah, we, right. we always ask you to pray to start. All right, it's bare heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to pray especially for our listeners this afternoon, Lord. Please wrap your loving arms around them and bless them, Lord. Also pray for my mate Lloyd as he opens the Bible and also uh, Robbie as together they open the Bible to deliver a great message. So, Lord, please bless them abundantly, I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. At the moment on Lloyd Grolleman's Greatest Hits, this is number one. It's been running at number one for probably a month or two now. I love uh-huh. this song. It's I love what it's about, God's amazing grace, the fact that God saves us, that God saves us and saves us alone. It's a beautiful story, that. In fact, I'm going to preach on that this week. And I won't be at New Hope. Yeah, I will be at New Hope, actually, this week. I nice. will be. So I'm looking forward. I've got to keep my head moving this morning, <laughs> this afternoon. I'm getting this morning, this afternoon mixed up, man. <laughs> this is going to keep happening in this program. There's nothing I can do about it. My brain doesn't always work right, but this is a beautiful song, God's Amazing Grace by the Lindsays.
song i like the tune and i like the words this idea that jesus came down and if you repent of your sins you give them to him he uh forgives you and you are saved i just love it now hunty we're looking for yeah, uh, a timer here son <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen him so busy at the moment All right, uh, let's see how's that n- no too long no way yeah, too long well, let's go up i'm enjoying this if, if well, you let's go up <laughs> 
let's let's All go. Right. Let's go uh, news. Let, let's have a look at the news. I, I don't know how long we've got. Yeah, no, we're no, right. The no, user's going now. Yep, yep. Whenever you use a new technology like we are today, and for Hunty, in his defence, it's huge. It is, isn't it? Like we today trying to co-host, produce. Well, let, well, let me tell you. Uh, Listeners and viewers, yeah. Lloyd rang me on his way to the studio and said, hey, let's go live on Facebook today. And for what it's worth, that's after we decided three or four days ago to do this. Yes, to do this next week. No, it was never next week. I'll oh, argue, I'll argue, I'll argue that go. till the end of time. <laughs> you can feel the tension and the friction in the, in, in, in the studio. Listeners, was... I've got the mute button. Let me show you right where it is. It's right there. And now the Aussie pastor can't say anything. Testing, <laughs> testing. Hello, is anyone there? <laughs> All right. Uh, news. Um, pretty, pretty serious one. This housing shortage in Australia, and it's only going to get worse, Andrew. It is. Um, you wonder what the future is because um, I am. I have friends who are getting houses built. Not only are they astronomical in their costs. In fact. To be honest, right now, if I was building a house, and I'm not, but if I was, I wouldn't. If I was in the market for a house, I'd go and buy one because it's always going to work out better than having to build one at the moment because the prices have um, skyrocketed. You wonder how long this can go for. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've heard me complaining for a while on this show, uh, the little three-bedroom house down the road from me on 235-square-metre block, which is a postage stamp. That's a, a block that size with a three-bedroom uh, house, a one-car garage. That makes me so sad in Australia, mm-hmm. Auntie. I know all the greenies out there will be saying that's a good thing, but a one-car garage. Um, you know, it's actually worse than that too because the houses are so tiny inside that there's no storage space, so most people have to put all this stuff in their garage. So it becomes a storage space. And, yeah, and the other kites, thing is, they're camping gear, the canoes. If you all, have uh, a four-wheel drive like you have, your cheap Cherokee, yep. and or, or mine, my Hyundai, and you try to put it in the garage, blokes our size can't get out. That's right. My Jeep wouldn't even fit in my garage. Real, because you had a one-car garage, didn't you? I did, but I had a bull bar in the front. When I backed it right up against the wall, I couldn't really close the roller shutter. Wow. And this house, these houses are going for $1.3 million. That's it. I, I don't know how people afford it. And there's a housing shortage. And what worries me, Hunty, is when we were in L.A. last time, remember we went for a drive down Skid Row? Yeah, that, and was, we, that was horrendous. We saw hundreds, maybe thousands of people on the footpath with tents, sleeping in sleeping bags inside their tents. Mm-hmm. And that's what worries me about Australia. I hope and pray we don't get to that stage. But you wonder where the future is for our children. Well, look, the, the government's worried about nurses, fireys, ambos, etc., because they can't afford to rent in the suburbs they're posted to like Mossman and the northeast suburbs of Sydney, they just can't afford to rent there, so they're leaving. So we're losing, we're losing, our, you know, our vital services. So what's the answer? Yeah, if you're a young couple, well, if you're just getting married and you've got a couple of kids, what's your answer? I guess family. You have to stay with family for longer. Live with your friends and relatives. Maybe a caravan out the back. I don't know until you can get a deposit and get started. You know what? Um, if I was young. With kids, you know what I'd do? What's that? I'd move out in the country. 
Country's always nice. But even the country's getting expensive, but I'd go somewhere where it's not expensive. Remember when we were in South Australia we saw a block of land on the ocean for $110,000? I'd be going somewhere like that. Problem is, though, you've got to live where, near where you work, so unless you can find a job somewhere in well, the country. Well, you're young and you're creative and there's a lot of work online now, you'd work it out. I mean, my son works exclusively online. He could live anywhere in the world with his job. Yeah, that's quite very, amazing. Very nice. And at least our next news story, so you've got a housing shortage and then you've got a Power price hike, a slug coming up again. Yep. Do you know how much we're going to... One more slug. Another, now, this is on top of 30 40% rises per year in the last few, few years. A 30% rise. Yeah, we just saw uh, last uh, last week we saw people losing their businesses because they can't afford to run the, the pizza oven or the or the air fryers because the electricity is double in price since this time last year for and, businesses. And we are living in... And I, don't, I try to work this out. We are living in an energy superpower country. No one has more energy or access to more energy than Australia. And yet here we're going through some of the highest electric uh, power price rises in the world. You wonder, again, you wonder where the world is going. Well, we're in one of the few countries that has humongous stocks of uranium and we don't run nuclear energy. Well, I, I, I guess I don't know the answer to the nuclear energy. Did you know that a golf ball-sized piece of nuclear uranium or whatever is enough to power you and your entire house for your entire life? Mm-hmm. A golf ball size. Well, I just know that even without nuclear power, Australia has the energy. We mm. have the sun. Mm. We have the gas. We have the coal. Clean coal, too. <laughs> I don't know. Our, our coal is the cleanest in the world. I don't know whether I'm going to argue with you on whether there's clean coal or not, because I just don't know. Uh, I think there is some coal does burn cleaner than others, but is there really such a thing as clean coal? Not well, com- compared to the brown coal they burn in China, our coal is much cleaner. Yeah, it's probably a better quality, but it's still leaving black soot in the air. You know, they can they could install filters to to, to scavenge all the uh, horrible particles out of the coal-fired generators, but at a cost. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit of a worry. When you see when you see a housing shortage and you see power going up, you're going to get to the place, and I think some people are already at this place, where they'll just turn their power off. Yep. Um, and the problem is, if you were to go off-grid, how much would it cost to go off-grid? Well, if you, um, if you put enough solar in to run all your needs and you put enough batteries in, you're probably going to do ten to $20,000 worth of just batteries, yeah. not including your solar. Yeah. So that's that's probably out of the reach of most ordinary Aussies too. Excepting now that batteries are proving to last 10 years and if people are paying three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800 a quarter... No, no, people are paying $400 a month. Yeah. So not a quarter. You're looking at $1,200 a quarter. Yep. It's not abnormal in the summer where you've got to use your air conditioner. People are paying $400 a month. How do I know I just got a bill for $410? Very sad. For the last month. Mm. And that was my kids were using the air conditioner. Uh, air conditioner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they use it too much. They turn it on all the time. I tell them not to. Come home, it's on. I just, uh, that's a, a circular battle. But <laughs> I, I tell you what, it it. It is a worry. And then this last one, Qantas scam, very quickly. It looks like the scammers are out again. They're, they're, they're claiming that you've 
um, they'll send you a text. You have just had $850 put through for a Qantas flight. It mm. seems it's not for you. Call us and then somehow, I don't know, they scam you out of that $850. Yeah, so what happens is people get the text and they get panicky and so they um, they call the number and the first thing the operator says is, hi, my name's Fred from Qantas. Let me just confirm your identity. And they ask for your username and password. And that's when you're done. And they'll just... Username and password to your Qantas account or to your to your credit uh, card? The, the scams are all different, but they're after your what, data. I think what yeah. they're doing is they're saying, give us your uh, credit card details and you give you, so we can give you a refund for this money that's gone through off your credit card, which is which it hasn't, of course, mm-hmm. and then they'll use your credit card. But as you say, there's all sorts of scams out there. You need to keep your eyes open. I think when we see these things happening, when we see these housing shortages, when we see energy prices going through the roof, and we've talked about this a number of times, and then when you see the dishonesty out there, where people just trying to scare money out of look up, look up, because I tell you, these are signs that tell us Jesus is coming soon. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. The Dunaways are another one of these American. Oh, we have a little bit of music there on the sideline, Hunty. Now, was that Lloyd or was that Hunty? Just for our listeners, because I've been copping it this morning, this true, afternoon. True. I, I this have, morning, there I, I go again. I'm really mixed up well, today. You, you see, listeners, we normally shoot our TV programs in the morning and our radio in the afternoon. And because we have cameras on now, Belzy Pastor, he's gone back into TV mode. Anyway, yes, apparently my phone wasn't on silent. And so, <laughs> just wonderful, wonderful. Now, just a minute, let me check to see if mine's on silent. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. Actually, it was our next guest who was calling in. Oh, okay. Well, you get him. Didn't I Walk on Water by the Dunaways? Beautiful song. The Dunaways, another American um, gospel singer. Man, there's a lot of good gospel singing coming out of America, isn't there? We have, a lot, we have a lot to be grateful for. But on this program, this show, we often have the Aussies, and we've got some Aussies singing today too. I think you're going to enjoy this one. I, I certainly do, talking about uh, the amazing power of Jesus when he comes into your life. As I kneel in the darkness In the middle of the night Praying for assurance Everything's gonna be alright And Lord, I see another battle It's out in front of me I'm afraid I won't be able And I'll go down in defeat And He said, do you remember Where I brought you from Just take a look behind you At how far you've come Oh, and every time you ask me Didn't I deliver you? So why would you be thinking That I wouldn't see it through? Didn't I walk on the water? Conquer raging sea. I spoke to the wind. It hushed and I gave you peace. Didn't I run to your rescue? Didn't 
songs about it's about jesus coming to us in times of trouble because when you get into times of trouble you can start to lose your faith that jesus is going to get you through you you can the storm can be so great uh, the wave before you're so huge and tall or the mountain so tall you you'll never get over the wave you'll never climb the mountain you can start to lose hope and jesus is saying in this song hey I walked on the water. I did all these most amazing miracles. Whenever you get into the Bible, you can see how I cared for people. I looked after people. And if I can look after them back then, I'll guarantee you I will look after you now. And I've got to tell you that in the times of trouble in my life that I have been through, it has been an amazing and a beautiful and a peaceful experience to know that Jesus is there walking through these times with me. Hunty. How yes. we going, mate? We, we, we got our yeah, we got him. Harold, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Lloyd. Welcome to the program today. You're still up in sunny Cairns. Still in Cairns, and it's sunny. Is it and hot? Warm. Is it hot up there at the moment? Oh, about thirty-four and high humidity. It's the humidity rather than the sun that gets you, isn't it? It is. Just remind yeah. us why you're up there, because you, normally you live down here towards Sydney. What are you What are you doing way up there in Cairns? I've been asked to care for the church. The pastor here is on long service leave to get health back again, okay. and I'm caring for the churches for three months. Okay. So he's on long service leave for three months. Yep. He's been a pastor for a long time if he's got three months long service leave. That's yeah. right. All right. We're going to look at an interesting fellow today. His name is Louis Alexandra Berthier. Did I say that right? Yeah, Berthier is a well-known, well, he's well-known in history for what he, he did. He is. Well, Well, perhaps we can go right back to the beginning. Where and when was he born? He was born in 1753 in Versailles. Now, Versailles is just outside Paris, and that's where he was born. 
Versailles, is that the same place that the treaty after World War One was signed? Yeah, and there's the big palace there too that the French emperors had. Okay, so he's born in a fairly well-known place. His father was quite important. What did he do? Well, he was an officer in the army, and that would, the army was just about the tops in those days. Yeah, yeah. So he was well, well thought of, and this was a time where France would have been a fairly strong nation in the world. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, it's coming up to the French Revolution, you see. Yeah, which was dangerous times. So we may talk. We may talk <laughs> about that sometime. Um, what religious background did he come from? I found this very interesting. And did it did it actually mean anything, or, or not a whole lot? Well, he came from a Huguenot background, and that was the Protestants of France, and they had to fight for their... In, in fact, there were w French religious wars all against the Huguenots, but he'd come from that Protestant background. Was he a Protestant himself, or we don't really know? Well, I think he he was of that background, so he would say he was, yes. But we don't know how much he practised or whether he had an ongoing relationship with Jesus or anything like that, really. No, we don't know that. But I believe this had a big uh, influence on what he was asked to do later. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did. It's, it's quite incredible, really, and we'll find that out in a minute. Um, <laughs> when he was 17, so he's a fairly young man, what did he go and do? Well, his father taught him some military skills, and when he was 17, he joined the army and he served as an engineer and a dragoon. So he was he was learning all military skills, and he started at a young age of 17. So as a, a dragoon, a French dragoon, that's basically a French soldier, isn't it? That's right. Now, this I did find interesting, and I never knew this about Louis Berthier. In 1780, he went somewhere quite special. Well, he went across to North America. I'm not sure why they went, but the French... Remember the American independence and mm. the USA, as it became, sided with France at this time. And so I guess, and the French gave them the great Statue of Liberty. Mm. And I guess he came over in that, in that time. Yeah, I was thinking about that myself. I, I think probably the French and the Americans, because the French had helped the Americans very much in the War of Independence, that the Americans have just won that war. I think. You know, they had a very close relationship, and he goes across in the context of that relationship. Do we really know much about what he did in America? No, we don't have much knowledge. That's something we might be able to dig up, but I haven't looked at that yet. When he returned, what happened? Well, because he had that service now, he's promoted in the army to the rank of colonel, so he's well up in the top group now. Okay, so his, his career in the army is going pretty well. The French Revolution comes, which was a tumultuous time for France where really the common people rose up against the aristocracy and the king. Um, what was his responsibility during that French Revolution? Well, of the Versailles National Guard, he was the chief of staff and he protected some of the aunts, the aunties of Louis XVI. So he was in charge virtually of all the security around Versailles at that time. What is amazing about this is that he actually survived this because it seems to me as I'm looking at your notes and, and doing a little bit of research myself that he was in some sense protecting the king. Is that that's correct? right. Well, the king and the king's family, for sure. And and he was, yeah, and that's what I mean when I say the king. He was on the king's side. 
Um, and yet he survives the French Revolution where the king lost his head and, and, and everybody... Well, well, before the king lost his head, the the French army would have been there so they couldn't escape. So he was really on the side of the army as well. So it was really the army changing sides, I guess, that saved his bacon there. Um, who knows? Um, yeah. But it was. I, I think the point was... It was a tumultuous time. Not only does he survive it, his military career keeps going from strength to strength. Tell us a bit about how successful he was as a military man. Well, as a military man, he'd been colonel, and now he's made a major general of the army that was sent into Italy. So he's Napoleon's right-hand man looking after all the troops that are going across into Italy and invading Italy. In 1798, Napoleon. Now, Napoleon was that great little general, later to become emperor, who yep. ruled France and took most of Europe and was only really defeated um, by the Allies when he went into Russia and got done by the winter. And that was That's really right. the beginning of the end, which culminated in the Battle of Waterloo. Um, yeah. And I'm sure Berthier was around for all that. But in 1798, at the height of Napoleon's power, he gives Berthier a very, very poignant command. And this is a, a real watershed in history. What, what did he do? What did, well, you, what did Napoleon tell him to do? You've got to remember, Lloyd, that in Italy, the papal states, they were in charge of half of Italy or more. Mm, mm. And the French now wanted to take control of that. And the Pope had sued for peace and that was made and then broken. And finally, Napoleon gets exasperated with this Pope who won't give in and he sends Berthier. You go down to Rome and you take him prisoner. This was 1797. He was sent down. He would have taken a month or so to get down there. And he got there in February 1798 and he grabbed the Pope and he took him a prisoner. Where did he take the Pope to? Well, he was put into exile and he took him back up through Italy, all the stages through Siena and then to Florence and then across uh, and to uh, France where he finished up in Valence. But let me tell you, I believe Napoleon was delighted to send this guy, a Huguenot, to take the Pope prisoner. If he'd sent a former Catholic there and the Pope had said, you're going to go to hell if you touch me, mm. he, he might have, you know, gone to water. But, but Berthier, he does his job and the Pope is finished and the world just said, hey, that's the end of it. Actually, it was the end of the Church of Rome as a major political power for quite some time, correct? It, because it was that Pope died in exile. Is that right? That's right. He was in Valence, and he died in Valence in France. So, really, then for the next, uh, well, I don't know, hundred years or more, uh, Rome lost her authority and her power that she had really been exercising for over a millennia. Correct. In fact, historians say it was finished. They saw no future for the, the, the Catholic states anymore after this took place. And it's, it's taken centuries before they regained that power. Um, okay. 
Does this have any biblical implications? Yes, it does, because we're told that the power of that Roman power, the middle-aged church, would finish after this 1260-year prophecy, which came to pass on time in 1798. So there's a prophecy in the Bible, just so our listeners can get, we'll try and unpack this just a little bit. There's a prophecy in the Bible that predicts that the Church of Rome will receive a deadly wound, and it doesn't just predict that Rome will receive a deadly wound, it predicts the actual year. It's an amazing prophecy. I think it's Revelation chapter 12. Is that right, Harold, from my memory? 12 and 13 and a bit in Daniel, and you put it together, these, in fact, this 1260-year prophecy or 1260 days or three and a half years is mentioned seven times in the Bible, and it predicts the end of that power right on time in 1798. Yeah, so the, the, the actual prophecy, it's amazing. We might do it online here sometime um, on this radio program and, and let people have a look at it. It's an amazing prophecy. And you would think, oh, that we're just talking about it generally here. Oh, that's incredible. That's not there. Couldn't be. You've got to be twisting and turning and, and trying to manipulate and manoeuvre so that the prophecy works. No, it's there. It's clear. Everybody who sees it goes, wow. But that prophecy says that Rome would receive a deadly wound, but then it says, what does it say about that wound, Harold? The deadly wound would be healed. Yeah. And healing takes a bit of time, doesn't it? I think we could say now that that deadly wound is possibly still in the process of being healed. because it's getting stronger all the time. To be healed, something has to be as good as it was before it was wounded. Right. And I don't think Rome yet has the power that she once had before 1798, but the Bible predicts that that day will come, and that's for another time. Let's go back to Berthier. Um, so he, he is successful. He goes on to do some amazing things after this too. Yeah, he becomes a marshal of France. That's one of the top, you know, the little Caterian, the very top of France. He would be up there with, with Napoleon. He was one of the leaders of France at that time. That's right. Um, so he goes right to the heights of power. He dies, I wouldn't say over young, but he does die reasonably young. How did he die? Uh, well, it's a bit of a, a mystery. Some think he was a victim of a secret society assassination. Others say it was a suicide because he was pushed out of a window in Bamberg in Germany. But it was the year 1815. You know, Napoleon this time has met his Waterloo and this guy's done at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, how's he remembered in France today? Well, I don't think they remember too much about him. Uh, it's one of the past. He would be a regarded as a military guy. Yeah. And po- possibly, uh, if you're a Catholic in France, you wouldn't have liked to have known that this guy took your Pope prisoner. No, no. Well, I guess, you know, we don't know how spiritual he was, but what we do know is that he was used uh, uh, by Napoleon. Um, God foresaw it. He fulfilled a great prophecy in the Bible that talked about Rome receiving a wound. And I just thought it would be interesting for us to look at his life and see how how God, who sees the future from the past, um, he, he would have known about Berthier. And in some sense, uh, a Huguenot takes a, the Pope prisoner and an amazing story. 
That's great. We might talk about 1798 another time. I think we will. God bless you, Harold, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. God bless. Bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Good story, that one, mm-hmm. Hunty. Um, I'm going to let you introduce this next. This next, uh, <laughs> we got beeps, and <laughs> I reckon that's Hunty's phone again. Yeah, it's it's the, our last guest just leaving. <laughs> oh dear! Um, All right, this next song. Yeah, okay. there's a reason I'm doing this is because this guy's one of your favourite musicians. Yeah, look, this guy. Um, his name's Keith Green, and he died, I think, twenty, thirty years ago, a very early death. But he basically took words straight from the Bible and penned them to Scripture. And he was very popular in his day. He had concerts and he had huge record sales, but he never charged for his concerts. And he would always say, if you want a record and you can't afford it, take one. So this next and, song... And, and, and what would he ask? Just a, So for a concert, he just asked for a donation? Yeah, he'd just, send, he'd just send the offering basket around. If you could afford it, he'd say, look, if you can afford it, help me out if you can't. I'm glad you're here. Be blessed. And when he's selling his records, or I don't know whether he was around when there were CDs... Um, he just same thing. You just take one and give up. A- yeah, he would say, "Look at the back at the back table. Uh, I've got my records. They're for sale, but you know what? They're free. If you can afford to pay, leave me a donation. If not, take them and be blessed." Do you know what happened to him? How he passed away? Um, I forget. Was it a plane accident? It's really sad. Can't remember, he has a he has. Despite his generosity, he obviously was fairly wealthy, and he had a runway and a plane next to his house, and I think it was a new plane, as I remember rightly, or a newly bought one, and he decided to go up for a ride in it, and he took a, a couple of his kids and a friend or something or other, the thing took off and crashed, and that was the end of his life. I, he was in his 30s, mm. a life cut short, and he left us some beautiful music, so I'll let you introduce this song, aren't you? Yep, well, this next song, uh, it's one of my favourites, it's... Um Oh, oh, Lord, you are beautiful. So here it is. Give all the 
the glory to you. Oh Lord, my faith is small, and I need a touch from you. Your book of books lies undisturbed, and the prayers from me to few. That's fueled with holy fear. I wanna take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just live it, Lord. And if I'm doing good, please help me. To never make a sound except to give all the glory to you. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all. Hunty, yeah, mate. He wrote that song in one sitting. Of course, he did. He did. The he man's did. a legend. And when he sang that, the first time he sang it, the song was only four days old. Wow, he's just—he's just so talented. The music, God music poured out of him. I saw a—I saw a clip. I was sharing it with you, actually. I, I, I think I was on the phone or something with you, and I—or no, it was here while we were working in the studio. Yep. A picture of him when he was a young kid. He was a rock and roll singer. Yeah, and somewhere, yeah. somehow, he's given his heart to Jesus Christ and completely changed direction. You know, his band is really hot. Even some of his um, more contemporary Christian songs were right up there with the songs of the day. Yeah, yeah, well... I love them. They're my favourites. <laughs> yes, hunty. We won't go into that. I, I will go into the only time we've ever got into trouble in music on this show was when hunty chose it. I will remind our listeners and it was of that. such a nice, passive song, too. <laughs> he still feel. Are you there, Robbie? Wait, 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 wait. All right. Being here shaking my head because I had to deal with the fallout. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an ally at long last. 
I've got an ally. Yeah. So it was you who dealt with the hunty, the hunty. What would we call it? The hunty crisis. The hunty or the, song. Um, we'll call it. We'll call it hunty gate. Hunty gate. <laughs> yeah. Ah, he has. You boys are being mean to me. <laughs> you we we said, love you, hunty. <laughs> he reckons when I'm mean to him that uh, he just increases his fan base out there. He does have a lot of sympathy out there, Robbie. Yeah, uh, there people, is. I've seen a text coming in People write in and support me. They say Lloyd's being horrible again. <laughs> and there's, he loved- his, there's, his, there's his wife and there's his, uh, you know. Yeah, most, other of, my, most of them are from my wife and family and friends, yeah. <laughs> um, how are you today, mate? Oh, mate, busy, busy, busy. But I'm so this is a this is a golden spot to sit in with you guys again. Not sure this is going to happen, but so exciting to be able to do a part two to this. It is, and and what's exciting is the fact that um, Hunty for the first time has got this being put up on Facebook, and so... Yeah, the only tragedy is I don't have you on Zoom, but that's for next time. Yeah, we, we, well, this is the first time we've ever done it, so we'll see how it goes and unpack, awesome. unpack it from there. Hey, um, are, you, are you on the road or are you at home or...? Um, I'm about to get on the road. I'm travelling down to Bendigo this weekend. Wow. You'd be on the road. What percentage of the time are you away from home in your job for Faith uh, FM? Well, last year I was away for 120 days. It's a lot of Nine. time. And not not all at once, but uh, throughout the year, and it was a, it turned out to be a really nice round number, one hundred and twenty days. But <laughs> it's yeah, actually it's a bit, bit it's a gets a bit bit monotonous after a while. That's four months on the road, and and you have a family too. You have children and a wife. And yes, yeah, I have a very supportive wife, an understanding wife, and I have a uh, a seven year old son who we do Facetime every night. Then away, okay. I have a two year old daughter who doesn't quite talk yet and so she gets basically uh, a little bit upset when she can't talk to me on the phone yeah 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 uh it's it, yeah when you're a, you're a young dad with a young family it's, it's challenging sometimes working for the lord at the level you do because you're in your job for faith fm the radio station that we're now on you really go all over australia is that correct from western australia right around this big brown sunburnt land of ours Yep, exactly. We've we've actually it's pretty exciting. Just yesterday, we are about to launch the live uh, studio in Canberra. Wow! And um, earlier this week, we're just making final preps to launch our live studio out of Townsville. Wow! So once once they come online in the next probably two or three weeks, we will have a studio in um, every state and territory except the Northern Territory. And we're one of your live studios here in Sydney. Have you got any yes. other live studios in Sydney, or just us? Uh, just you guys. There's there's a couple of micro studios, which is basically pre-recorded stuff. It's not um, live on air, mm. like real time. Um, but, but yeah, so you guys are the the, are the dominant um, Sydney live studios for sure. It's uh, actually God's blessed us with this studio. Um, you haven't been in here yet, have you? Not since you changed it. I saw you on Facebook the other day, some, some videos coming out of it, and it looks amazing. You guys have done an excellent job. Yeah. And when I say you guys, it's probably Hunty. It is. It's solely Hunty. <laughs> Actually, Hunty and friends, because he does have a few mates who come in and help him. But true. Many he, friends. He has built this studio with very little help from me. Uh, a lot of pressure and and uh, noise from me in the background. <laughs> That'd be fair to say, wouldn't it, Hunty? But uh, he's done this, and it's fantastic. It's not finished yet. It's probably what do you reckon, Hunty? We got another. You got another week yeah, we in here. Could easily spend another week in here. There's so much more to do, but at least it's running and it's working, and we're getting some progress. I am going to haul it up soon to get him to finish it. Hey, just before we get into this um, discussion on eternal hell. 
and I want to throw some more texts at you. I enjoy doing this. Usually it's like the other way around. I'm the one in the hot seat. So I love it when I get someone on and they're in the hot seat. Any news from um, Janelle and Daniel who went missing in the Philippines on February 28 in a hel- Medivac helicopter that um, they're running for a mission over there? Any news on what's going Have they found them or is, what's going on over there? Yeah, look, I was talking to Daniel's sister um, earlier this week, and the latest is they still haven't found the wreckage. Um, they still don't have a definite location where they think it is. That there was an oil slick like after like day two. Yep. But at this rate, it doesn't look like that was actually related to a crash at all. They- so where they're at, where they're at at the moment is they're they're really trying to do sonar mapping of the ocean floor to try and find the crash. They're, they're pretty convinced it's 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 a lost. Um, They've died at this point. They've died. But but the problem is is that um, they're basically volunteers trying to do the sonar, um, like running a sonar like buoy behind a boat and back and forth across the sea in a grid pattern. But because of the size of the waves and the, the weather the last couple of um, weeks, it's been pretty much. The, the footage they're getting back from the sonar is not usable. So at the moment, they're trying to negotiate with a private organisation to come and that, that, that this is what they do. Mm. Um, they're going to try and get them to come over, but it's, it's about a $70,000 US cost mm. um, to get it doing. So they're trying to raise some money. They've got GoFundMe accounts and stuff to raise money to do that. But at the moment, it's, yeah, it's pretty much turned to a recovery process instead of a rescue process. Is there no chance they're on an island? I don't know that area. Are there a lot of little islands and stuff you could go to? There, there is a lot of islands, um, and it's sort of like in the, it's in the sort of a quadrant between Philippines, Malaysia, and uh, Indonesia. And yeah, so they're searching islands. Um, they've, they've searched over. I think it's last count was about seventy thousand square kilometers in the air that have searched. And that's when I say it's air searches. Most of it's across islands, coastlines and the waters in between. There's not a huge open sea like we have off the Pacific Ocean or something like that. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, you know, um, I don't know, 30 minutes between islands by flight time. Yeah. So there is there is water there for sure. But, yeah, it, look, uh, obviously we're all still hoping that somehow, by some miracle, they, um, they manage to survive a crash if it did crash and get to shore and they're sitting there waiting, you know, doing the Robertson Crusoe type thing on an island waiting for it uh, passing by. But... As time's going on, that's becoming more and more um, not going to be the outcome, probably. That's there devastating. Are some, there are some people still holding to the hope that maybe they have been kidnapped. And I know that sounds horrible, mm. but that would at least ensure that they're at some point they're still alive. Is there a problem yeah, with that, though, when it seems like they've found her shoes and some things like that, or is that just gossip scuttlebutt on the internet? Well, look, they, they did find the shoes like on the day after the crash and they yep. found a pillow. Yep. But there's a lot of speculation around it because uh, like the, the uh, father of um, the nurse Janelle. whose shoes they're supposed to be, um, he's confirmed that they're her shoes. Yeah. But the thing that everyone's confused about is how that they're perfectly tied, like the, the laces were still tied um, and they, like, they, they were together. Um, and with a pillow. So this is what's fueling sort of the the hope slash, not conspiracy, but the idea that maybe they were kidnapped and that was sort of a sign to let them let the discovery know that, hey, because you, you don't lose two shoes nicely tied um, in laces in the ocean with a pillow at the same time. Like it's kind of a bit too 
um, mm. clinical, to it's, use that expression. It's so, dev- yeah, like, but that's the only thing they've got to go on. It's um, devastating. Nothing, nothing else that's been found is connected to the helicopter at all. It must be just the most devastating experience. Um, I'm, I'm watching one of um, Daniel's best mates, Taj, and his yes. Facebook page, and you can just see the devata- devastation as he's trying to come to grips with this unfolding tragedy. And the fact, if they were to find the helicopter, unfortunately, if they found the bodies, at least it brings closure, but there's yeah. no closure in this. And these are young people who have given their hearts to the Lord. Um, um, Daniel could have been a had a very lucrative career flying helicopters in America. Um, his friend Janelle, who's a nurse, you know, nurses are wanted everywhere on good money in places in the world, and yet yeah. they basically volunteer their, their services for God, and they could have lost their lives in his cause, and they won't be the first young people to die in the cause of Christ. They won't be the last. Um, they follow, if that's what has happened to them, in a, a really a glorious line of of people who have given everything for Jesus while young. Um, you know, I used to give Bible studies to Daniel when he was in my youth group. Yeah. And um, this is going back, you know, almost 20 years now. Yeah, yeah. And his, his love for Jesus, even at that age, yeah, um, was just, you know, you, you, a lot of young people, they sort of dilly-dally with faith and God and things like that. But he was committed from, like, I, I first met him when he was 14, and yeah. he was committed from that day, you know, like he, and the thing that this is the thing that people take away from this, and it kind of connected to our our topic of yeah. like death, death and hell and yeah. heaven and all that sort of stuff, afterlife business, is that Daniel was he was committed to Jesus, and he was like, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. This is why he was prepared to walk away from yep. a helicopter commercial license. He's like, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. We're here for a mission to communicate the love of God so people have a chance for salvation, and whatever the cost. And ultimately, it looks like he's paid the ultimate cost, cost here on earth, which is mm. life. Mm. But he has hope. He had hope. And uh, I believe we'll see him again. He sleeps waiting. If he's if he has passed away, he, he sleeps awaiting the call of his master and, and God will raise him up out of the sea. And That's uh, it. he'll be reunited with his young wife and this time to a to a time of no separation, no sadness, no pain and certainly no death. Um, all right. Well, look, I just thought I'd catch up with you. For our listeners who are interested, we'll stay on top of this story and let you know how it goes. But as um, has just been shared by Robbie, this has turned from a rescue to recovery, and it's a very sad time for the believers over there in the Philippines. Let's get into this, mate. I want to throw some all texts right. at you that we're talking about hell and the fact that the Bible actually preaches and teaches that it's not eternal. That yes. it, well, let's have a look at it. I want to throw some texts at you because most of the Christian church, Robbie, as we've already shared last week, will preach and teach and try to show from the Bible, actually, that hell is eternal. So that if you're bad, if you don't have a relationship with God, when you die, you go to an eternal hell where you burn and fry for eternity. Yeah. It's a fire that never goes out. Somehow, miraculously, God must keep you alive in that fire and you just burn and burn and burn. The, the thought of it is just reprehensible, isn't it? It's absolutely. I mean, I think we mentioned this last week, is that the core of this doctrine, if I can call it that, um, is to misrepresent the character of God. And look, I'll be the first to say that I believe most Christians who have this view of hell 
they're not intentionally trying to misrepresent God's character. True. But they've, they've bought into uh, misinformation, they've bought into a lie that has ultimately led to the misrepresentation of God's character and has probably done more damage for the cause of Christ than any other teaching. It's, it's, you sometimes wonder whether it's Satan's greatest lie. And, and I know that can be quite confrontational to hear that if you're listening on our radio program right now and, and you believe in an eternal hell. Um, yeah. But this is not the last Bible study we're going to do on this. In the next few weeks, we're going to show what the Bible does say about hell and, and how that unpacks. But can I throw a few more Bible texts at you that our friends who do believe in an eternal hell use? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go for it. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Isaiah 66. Do you want to read this, Hunty, or do you want me to read it? Um, I don't have a Bible. No, I'll, I'll do Sorry. it. Isaiah 66, 22 through to 24. It's talking about heaven, the new earth, and, and where we're headed with Jesus. It says this. Great, great prophecy, actually. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath. That's interesting. We could look at that another time. From one yeah. Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. So what all Jesus is saying, all God's saying there through the prophet Isaiah is in, in, in the heaven, the new heaven and then in the new earth, um, people will come before me on the Sabbath every month, week to week, worshipping me on the Sabbath. And then it says this, yes. verse 24, And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. That, yep. Does that verse 24, if this was on television now, I'd put that verse up and I'd say, now look at that. I'll just read yes. it once more, just for our listeners so they can get a grip of what it's saying. And they will go out, these are those who are on Christ's side, that's us who are the redeemed, saved by grace, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they'll be loathsome to all mankind. Man, when I read that, I can actually see the answer. But I'll leave it to you, Robbie. Go for it. So I'll make a couple of points before we get into the actual text. The first yep. one is this is the last, for everyone listening and watching, this is the last verse in the book of Isaiah. Mm. Okay, so this is the concluding crescendo, if you want, of the whole prophecy of ministry of Isaiah. And I went there. I like what you said before in verse in the verse 22, verse 23. Is it's a it's a crescendo that there'll be a new heaven, there'll be a new earth, and then all the redeemed will spend basically from one new moon to the other means that forever. Uh, for, all the cycles will continue. The Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, will continue, and everyone's going to worship God. It's going to be the crescendo of the ages. Just before you the, go on there, Robbie, have you ever thought yeah. of what it's going to be like to have Sabbath in heaven? I am looking forward to that because my Sabbath down here as a pastor is Hard constantly work. work in churches. The music, the singing, the preaching, the testimonies we're going to hear, it'll be incredible, man. It'll, it'll be amazing. So this is the crescendo that Isaiah's yeah. seeing, right? Mm. And in, in just as like a little footnote almost is the last verse of his ministry, yep. verse 24, where he talks about, but in contrast to this, you're going to go and see the corpse of men, as you said, uh, the bodies of men, the, the ones who have transgressed or rebelled. And then it makes this really weird two lines. Mm. It says, um, in my translation, it says, the worm does not die. Mm. Um, I think you said the worm doesn't die as well, something to that effect, yeah, right? That's the same thing, yep. And the fire is not quenched. Their fire is not quenched. Yep. All right, so people take this verse 
and they go, aha, see, if the worms are going to eat them forever and their fire is not going to be put out forever, then they're going to be tormented forever. Now, as I said last week on the episode, that would not have been the view of the person reading this passage when when uh, this passage was written. This definitely wasn't the way that Jesus actually, I'm going to talk about this in a second, Jesus actually quoted verse 24 in the Gospels, mm. um, almost word for word, uh, verse mm. 24. Mm. Now, we have, after, like I said before uh, last week, uh, around 150 AD comes along that fraudulent Gospel of Peter or the Apocalypse of Peter, which paints this really graphic, horrific picture of the suffering of all the different evils of the people um, in this place of torment. Mm. Um, and then we see 600 years later after Jesus, the uh, the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, um, making it a actual doctrine of the church that there is an eternal burning place of torment, what we call hell today. Mm. So this, this theology has had a huge amount of time to develop. And now, 2,000 years later, when people pick up the Bible, with all of that baggage and all that background of tormenting um, hell, and if you don't do it, you're lost, and it's almost a, a tool of um, evangelism. And we're going to get you into this church one way or the other, and if you don't get in here, you're going to be burning forever. So you better join us, because we're better than burning forever, right? So it's, a, it's being used as a tool of evangelism. But the problem now is, is that in 2023, as people pick up this passage and read this, they have all those lenses um, metaphorically speaking, in their glasses, and they don't see what the text is saying to the intended audience in the intended time period. They're reading into it this idea that oh, there's eternal torment here. So how do we explain this then? How do we try and understand this in the context of the intended message that was being communicated here? I want to share with you a couple of passages before we dig into those, those two things, the worm not dying and the fire not quenching. First of all, the number one principle you have to understand when you study the Bible is it's a principle I draw from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it basically says this. Talking about Jesus or God, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. And then Paul makes this point. Do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. Okay, So Paul made the point here in the book of Hebrews in, in the first century He's saying, listen, Jesus is consistent from the past into the present into the future. He is totally consistent. And because of this consistency, you shouldn't be carried away with strange doctrines. Our doctrine mm -hmm. is a teaching, and yep. this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about a teaching on yep. hell. Yep. And he's saying, listen, there are going to be strange and various doctrines creeping in around God's people, but because Jesus is consistent from the past to the present to the future, you don't have to be carried away with every strange new flavor of teaching. Mm. So with that understanding, what we need to do is we need to look at what Jesus through the Spirit has revealed in the past, mm. in the present, in the future, in the context of the canon of Scripture, right? So let's go in the very first, you mentioned this, this text last week. Mm. The very first time that death is talked about was from God's own lips. Mm -hmm. In Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden, verse 17, he tells Adam, or humanity, mm. the day you eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will, and what, you know the Rex word? Yep. Um, Lloyd, what's say? Die. You will surely die, mm. right? Mm. So, from the very first premise, God has taught that death is a certainty mm. with, with transgression. And that's what we're seeing here in this passage. They've, they've transgressed, they've rebelled, they've whatever the passage is saying, translations. So God made the very first teaching that 
there will be a certainty of death with transgression. That's the first thing. So now we come to Romans, in, in again, Paul teaching. Mm. He says, the wages of sin is death. But then he says, in contrast to that, though, the gift from God is eternal life. Mm. So here's two things. Death is contrasted to eternal life. Now, if you have the understanding that these guys are burning forever, their fire is not quenched, they're being tormented by worms forever, Mm. then they're living forever. They have eternal life. Mm -hmm. And they haven't received the assurance of eternal death that God had talked about back in Genesis. So they've actually received the gift of eternal life, even though they're not in... Uh, the place that you normally associate that with, which is being heaven. Now, what is actually happening at death? You said last week, Ecclesiastes 5, 6, the living know they'll die, the dead don't know anything, right? Psalm 115, the dead do not praise the Lord, neither do any that go down into silence. How is is it that those who are preaching and teaching eternal hell are missing these simple texts? Well, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit yeah, stunned at that. It's, I, I, it's I, an honest, honest question for sure. Yeah. My, my experience has been not growing up in the church in any religion background, like a Christian background. As I talk with people from all different denominations, what I find is, is that people who grow up in Christian homes, they, and it makes sense, is that they get a, a flavor of teachings from their parents, from their pastors, from their Sunday school, wherever the case may be. And they haven't actually dug out for themselves. And I'm talking about pastors here. I've studied with mm. pastors in uh, in Christian denominations who hold to this view. And you start sharing this stuff, and they're just like, no, but 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 my professor taught me this, but my Sunday teacher taught me this. I've thought I've known this for my entire life. And and when you start actually looking at the thread, I call it a golden thread of teaching on any topic. You pick death, pick hell, pick heaven, pick salvation, whatever. There's a golden thread from beginning to end that strings everything together in a perfect symmetry of truth. And when hell is no different to this. And so, look, I think it just comes down to people. They're not going deeper than what they've heard. Or what they've been church service. I wonder how you confront though this idea in you know Ecclesiastes nine five six verse ten, the death no, the dead know nothing, and it's not the Psalms say it. Uh, you see it in Genesis. It's all through the Bible. You see it in it's the story. You see it in the story of Lazarus, who's yes. dead for three or four days. Yes. He's brought back to life. He's not brought back from heaven. He's brought back to life. There's rejoicing. I mean, if you were Lazarus, you'd be most upset to have been brought back from heaven back into this earth, especially the the, the world he lived in. So exactly. over and over, the Bible is clear on this. You've got you've got uh, the second coming of Jesus in First Thessalonians four sixteen to eighteen, First Corinthians fifteen fifty one to fifty four, where there's resurrection of the dead. Yes. This resurrection of the dead. And it's almost like you say, we're brought up with, with, with almost glasses that are coloured toward this idea of an eternal hell, and we're just missing all this. If you approach these texts without the baggage of, of what Christianity in the last 2,000 years has taught you or what your society has painted in cartoons about death and hell and devils and all that sort of stuff, you don't find half of the stuff that we, we think we know. It's just not there. 
Um, it's almost like so, the foundations are built wrong, and because the foundations are built wrong, the house, when it comes to understanding this doctrine, exactly is crooked. right. Exactly my point. So I'll give you two more texts, and let's unpack this verse. Yep. In Malachi chapter 4, so this is the last book of the New Old Testament, right? So mm-hmm. remember, Jesus is consistent, God's consistent, yep. Old Testament, New Testament, yep. future. Yep. The last passages in the Old Testament says this, talking about the day of the Lord or what the second coming or what do you want to call it. It says, you shall trample the wicked, speaking of the righteous. They yep. shall trample the wicked. They shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this. So let me ask you this. If you were Malachi's audience and you read this, would you get a picture from here that the wicked are burning forever and ever and ever? You wouldn't. No. Because here it's telling you, the wicked will be burnt for sure. They'll be ashes, and then you will trample over the ashes. So they can't. You can't literally be walking around in hell, going, "Ha! I got you! I'm trampling on your ashes," because they don't exist if they're ashes. So if you look at the consistency of the Old Testament, there is no way to see into this passage in Isaiah that the fire not being quenched and the worm not dying equals eternal suffering in hell. It's just not there. I'll give you one more. Psalm 37 verse 10. David says, "A little while yet." And the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Can, I, want so you now, to, I want you to that read that. Almost seems like it contradicts what we just read in Isaiah. I, right? I want you to read that text again before you go back to Isaiah, because I, I just want people to hear what the Bible is saying. Can you read that right. for? Because that so, is this is a powerful text. Absolutely, Psalm thirty-seven, verse ten. Uh, I'm reading New King James here. It says, "For yet a little while." And the wicked shall be no more. All right. So the wicked, the wicked are here, yes, but in a little while they won't be here. And then he says, "Indeed, you will look carefully for his place." So he's telling the righteous, "You're going to look for the wicked's place. Where are they? Are they in heaven? Are they in hell? Are they in the earth? Where are they?" And look what it says: "But it shall be their place. It shall be no more." So they're going to cease to exist. Right. That's the consistency of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But then you have this passage here in Isaiah 24, and it's like, well, what happens here? Now, let's read what it says and not what yep. we think it says. Yep. Now, it's, we're reading it now, trying to read it from the what the Bible, what you've just shared with us the Bible says. Yes. So, so we're trying to change a paradigm. The Bible has been consistent that there yeah. is death for the wicked. Yep. It's, not, it's, not a, it's not an eternal life gift. And at death, they will be um, turned into ashes, and you'll trample on them with soles of your feet. And you'll look for their place and you won't find them. Mm. Okay, so that's what we've got in the in the totality of Scripture so yep, far. Yep, good, good. So let's let's reread verse 24. You want to read it? Yeah, uh, yeah I'll read it. Just a second. I got I got to go back to where it was. I was I was getting ready for the next verse. And they oh, will. No, here I'll, we go. I'll, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms. Okay, so stop yep. there for one second. Sure. So in that passage, we see the same language we just read in Psalm 37. We do. The righteous are looking for the wicked, right? Mm. And and in Psalms, it says you won't find their place. Mm. You can look carefully for it, but it's not there. So in this passage, it's saying that the wicked who are the righteous now are gone with God. They, they're worshipping from Sabbath to Sabbath, new moon to new moon. It's all wonderful mm. and happy ending. Mm. And then it says, and they shall look, go forth and look upon, and notice what it says. The dead bodies. The dead bodies. Are they alive? No. No. Are they burning? Uh, well, no. we don't know about the burning part, but are they? Are they? They're, they're not alive. That's the point here. They're dead bodies. And so we, we, you, we know what happens. This that they're burning for. I was going to say we know what happens we after they die because you've already shared with us what happens to them after they die. There's nothing. So we're looking on their exactly bodies. Exactly right. 
And, and if you're going to go by the Bible definition of what happens to you after you're dead, even if you were... Now, this is figurative, this this um, passage, of course, this little verse, correct? Am I right in saying that? Ah, uh, look, I actually think it's pretty literal. Okay. So so put it this way. Now, it's, the sequence is everything, right? And we don't yep. have time to unpack this on this episode, but if you want to compare the sequence in Revelation 20, you'll get a sequence here. Okay, so you, you think this and Revelation 20 are both tied? I, I believe it's both both connected as a context that's shared. Okay. So let's unpack verse 24. So yep. they've gone to look, the righteous have gone to look upon the, the, the dead bodies or the corpses of the, the wicked. Yep. Okay. Now, based on Psalms, they go to look, and guess what they're going to find? Nothing. Yeah. Right? It continues on. Who have transgressed or who have rebelled against me. So these are the wicked. We know that for sure. We know the wicked. They don't exist anymore. Yep. They've become ashes under our feet, according to Malachi. Mm. So now, here's the tricky part. This is people go, aha, eternal torment. Mm. It says, for their worm does not die. Your translation was slightly different, but same mm. idea. For their worm does not die. Okay, so the word for, you can substitute with the word because mm. in English. It's, mm. it's the same idea. It's cause and effect. Mm. So they've gone to look upon the corpses of the men because, uh, who have transgressed against God. But then notice this, because their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this telling us, is this, and this is where it gets, this is where people get on the wrong track. Mm. People assume in this passage that when it says worm, that's describing the wicked person. So the wicked person is the worm and they don't die. That's where they get this misrepresentation of you're living in hell Mm. uh, forever being tormented. But that's not what the passage says. Mm. It says, for their worm does not die. They're not the worm. The wicked here are not the worm. The wicked here are corpses. They're dead bodies. So the question is, what does it mean when it says, for their worm does not die? Well, the worm, and this is what is interesting when Jesus, and I'll just read the next part and get a Jesus. Mm. It says, and their fire, notice it's their fire, it's not them, mm. it's their fire is not quenched. Mm. So there's two thing, two languages here that Jesus picks up on in the Gospel of, I think it's Mark, I think he picks Mark, it up. In, Mark chapter yeah, 9. Chapter, chapter 9, yeah. And it's verse 40, 40, 40, 48. I'll re- do you want me so, to read it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Read um, I'll, I'll read verse 47 just so you get context. Jesus is talking about uh, um, getting rid of uh, sins that dog you, you know, and he says, if your eye calls you, well, <laughs> even that, <laughs> let's just read verse 48 because that'll open up a whole new discussion we've got to look at. He says, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, read verse 46. So that was 48. Yep. 46. 46 says, and if your foot causes you to uh, 45. 46. Can you read that for me, mate? My Bible's mucking okay. up a bit there. So for, verse, verse 46 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's, then he makes another point in verse 47. And 48, he says, their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. So Jesus actually quotes from Isaiah twice in one discourse. That's right. All right. Mm. Now, in the in the surrounding context, actually, it's three times. He's going back to verse forty four. Does the same thing. Yeah. But um, the point here is, now you, you, I know why you don't want to unpack the the sin and the. the oh well, this because it opens up, stuff, opens up an entirely new. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it does. And you can go read it for yourself, and, and we'll go back and look at that. How's that? We'll look at that passage um, in the next. Okay. Hunty, take note. We're going to look at Mark chapter. So I'm not trying to avoid this. We're going to look at Mark chapter. Uh, nine. And yeah, it, it's it's totally understandable. It's just that it's sort of on a different tangent mm-hmm. to the whole thing that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so here's the point. Jesus is quoting three times from this passage out of Isaiah. So yep. how is Jesus using this context? Jesus is saying in verse 43, and I'm, I'm going to have to read it, Lloyd, unfortunately, but anyway, you can unpack another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is saying, he says, listen, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, this is figurative. This isn't literal, all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's better for you to enter into life, so that's life, mm. maimed, which means you have no hand, yeah. rather than having two hands and going to, and in the English, and this is New King James, I think most translations in English yep. say this, go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah, that passage we've been looking at. Yeah. So here's the question, and he re basically repeats the same idea in verse 45 with a foot, so it's a hand, an eye, and a foot, right? And mm. all three times it's the same lesson he's trying to teach. He's like, um, eternal life, um, better, it's better to have eternal life with some, with some injury versus then going into hell. And in English, it says to go into hell, into fire that shall never be quenched. And then he quotes Isaiah, where the worm doesn't die and their fire is not quenched. All right. Mm. So here's the thing. If we understand how Jesus is using this passage here, we'll understand Isaiah. Mm. Black and white. It's super simple. Mm. Okay. Here's the point. In English, we get, we get, and this is because of the translators. Translators who translate the Bible in English, they have a bias. And I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. We have a bias. So as they translate these texts into English, they are using it through a lens, um, sometimes unfortunately, on how they see doctrine. Mm. So they've translated the word hell. I don't know. Does your one say hell in your translation? Are your, you NLT? Yeah. What's it say? There's say go into hell. Um, and not, if your different. foot causes you to stumble, cut off. Better that you go and enter life crippled and have to. Yeah. And if your eye causes you to yeah, and so it goes where the yeah it does use the word hell. Yep. Okay. Then it says into the fire. Does it say fire in your Bible? What verse are you in? Uh, forty three or. Either one, 43. Uh, if your hand calls you to stumble, cut it off. It is better you enter life maimed than two hands go into hell, where the fire never goes out. Okay, cool. All right. So here's the one of the the, the problems. If you get a actual a really good transliteral translation of the Bible, the word hell, the English the word we put there for English for hell shouldn't be there. It should say Gehenna. Yeah. Gehenna is the actual word that Jesus spoke there, according yeah. to the gospel account. So let's 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 get rid of the word hell because hell is a loaded idea. When we say hell, everyone's got a picture in their head, and it's pretty much wrong, right? So, so let's read what Jesus yeah. actually actually said. Jesus said, "Listen, it's better for you to go into eternal life than I'll skip the other part than to go to Gehenna." Yeah, right. He's not saying go into hell or go to. He's saying go to Gehenna into the fire that shall never be quenched. All right, so here's the question, a million-dollar question. What on earth is Gehenna? If I was sitting there in 30-something AD and Jesus is talking here and I'm sitting there as a person listening to what he's saying, I know exactly what Gehenna is. But 2,000 years later, we're scratching our heads and we're going, oh, well, he's talking about going to hell. That's bad because there's fire there. Mm. Oh, no, I'm going to burn forever. Okay, let me tell you what Jesus actually talked about. We've got a few minutes left. Mm. Jesus is describing, not even describing, he's referring to Gehenna. Gehenna was a real place in the day that Jesus walked around the Palestine. Mm. And everybody living there around Jerusalem knew Gehenna because Gehenna was the, the dump outside the city of Jerusalem where anything that you didn't want, you would take to Gehenna. Mm. It's basically you translate it as the tip or the dump, whatever you want to call it in whatever state you're in Australia. So Jesus is saying, listen, it's better for you to have eternal life than to go into the dump, go into the tip. Now, why is he saying Gehenna? Well, then the next part, he says, into the fire that shall never be quenched. So what is this fire thing? Again, if we disregard all the baggage we've got as Christians in 2023, 
we simply look at this passage and go, okay, so what was Gehenna in, in Jesus' time? Gehenna was a city dump. And guess what the city dump was notorious for? Two things, fire and worms. Mm-hmm. They're the two things. Mm-hmm. And these are the exact two things he mentions in verse 24. Now, the fire was literally just a fire that was burning constantly because things were constantly being added to it. Mm. So they were even throwing some of the paupers or criminals' um, bodies. Their mm. bodies would go in there. Um, the rubbish would go in there, old furniture, whatever they had. It nasty went the place, nasty you, place. What's that? Sorry? It was a nasty place. Yeah, nasty place. Yeah. And so if you said, uh, uh, if, you, if you, you know, you go into the Gehenna, if you said that in Jesus' day, your immediate word picture that you've got in your brain is that place that stinks, and anything that goes in, guess what? It doesn't come back out. Place of ending. It's the place of ending, exactly. And so mm. here's the point Jesus is making. Their worm, so the, the body, mm. the worm doesn't die there. You know why? Because there's something it's always eating, mm. but it's not the same person. Mm. And, and Jesus is, this is why it's a, it's a bit of a fallacy to apply this to this idea of eternal building hell, because hell would only be eternally burning if people were constantly being thrown into it. Mm-hmm. Because remember, they become ashes, according to God in the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. So the fire is not quenched. That's no, that's no strange thing. The fire is not quenched because no one's going to stop the judgment. Mm. The fire doesn't get put out. But when the fire is finished, guess what? The fire goes out. Mm-hmm. And the worm doesn't die as long as there's something to devour. And so Jesus' point here has got nothing to do with the idea of the, the, the picture of hell we have. His, his language here is, listen, there is a, a, uh, a, a complete, let me just find the exact expression here. I have it written down here at an English translation. So Jesus is actually emphasizing the permanent consequences of sin. Mm. That's his point here. Three yeah, times. Yeah. That, that In Hebrew, right. if you teach something three times, it means it's absolutely certain. Mm. Sin will have an absolute permanent consequence, and you're not coming out. If, if something fell into a Gehenna, it wouldn't be coming out because mm. if the fire doesn't put it out, a, a quench it, uh, sorry, the fire doesn't consume it, then the worm will. And that's Jesus's point. So I think we're almost out of time. Yep. And that was only one verse. I'm sure there are others you want to try. Uh, we'll, we'll, well, look, this is a continuing thing for us. We haven't finished with this subject. So um, all we've done today is is give you a little bit more light. We're going to continue next week. Whether that's with Robbie or not, I'm not sure whether he's available. We'll <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> but, hey, Lloyd, can I do something here? That I'm, you know, I'm the content manager of Faith of them, so I'm yep. going to do this anyway. Yep. I would like to give a gift to every one of your listeners. Okay. All right? And it's on this topic of... Judgment and Hell. Yep. And it's a little book, and this is how your listeners can get the book, okay? I've made a special offer. I've put it into the system. It's ready to go right now. Anybody with a phone can take out their phone, and they can text. Now, what's the Aussie pastor number? I think it's 04 5 Is that right? Correct. Can, okay, you, get, so can you, you give that you number again? Out, Hunty, give that sure. number. Sure. 488 If you take your phone out, any listener anywhere in Australia, and if they text just one word, guess what the word is? Hell. Hell. <laughs> if they if they text the word hell to the Aussie pastor number, 048 uh, you say it differently, but that's how I say it. If you text the word hell, the we got an SMS bot. It's going to ask you for your postal address, and then we will get this book to you absolutely free. No Fantastic. strings attached. All right. We'll revisit this next week. As I said, uh, I'm not sure where you are, Robbie. Um, do you want to come back or you you want to have a break now? Or? 
Oh, we... oh, look, I, I possibly could do it. I'm going to be in the Melbourne studio next Tuesday, but uh, I'm more than happy to okay, dial let's... in if you guys got some time. We'll, we'll negotiate and see how that works. Yep, I'll get, All right, I'll get no in touch. Worries. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, mate. See ya. You're listening to the Aussie Pasta here on Faith FM. Have we lost a song, Hunty? No, we haven't. The sky shall unfold. Prepare. The star shall applaud him with thunders of praise. The sweet light in.
heard her. I heard her sing once, Hunty, at the Opera House. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I want you to listen to this video. This is going back to um, a Messianic Jew. That's a Jew who believes in Jesus Christ. He was a jiu-jitsu champion, and it's how he found Jesus in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. It's a great story. See what you think. Daniel. Hey, how you doing, bro? Thanks for meeting me out here in uh, Tel Aviv on the beach. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It kind of makes me want to take my shoes off, go for a run, work out, do something oh, man. physical. Totally. I met Messiah in the gym. And from what I know about you, you also had a similar experience of meeting Messiah through physical training. Yes, exactly. I met the Messiah in uh, martial arts, actually, in uh, a martial arts called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. And uh, I want to start, actually, the first time I talked with God. Actually, it was before I even believed in God. I remember I was uh, going to train Jiu-Jitsu and my trainer um, is believing in Jesus, but he didn't tell me he believed in Jesus. He's believing in God and he told me, um, why don't you try to speak with God? And I like, thought for, for myself, this is crazy, but I was talking to, to God. I went to the woods after a training session and I literally speak. Like as I speak with you, literally speak. Yeah. And it was the first time in my life I felt that somebody is listening to me, love me, and actually understand what I'm feeling. Even though you didn't believe it. Even though I didn't believe in God. So after this, I, I said there's two options. Or I'm uh, totally crazy <laughs> and I need to go to like a crazy place. Or there is God. Okay. And um, yeah, this was the first time I actually speak with God. And after this experience, that I actually have a conversation with God. Like I literally felt like he's speaking to me, not just a monologue, not just I'm speaking. Right. It's also he's speaking to me. Hmm. And a year after this, I, I received Jesus in my life. But how did you go from that to, to Jesus? I mean, you're a Jewish guy growing up in a Jewish home here in Israel. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, uh, it wasn't easy. It took me, it took me one year to, to get to it. But I was, um, I was how to say, um, it, it was interesting. I want to I wanna hear more about this. I want to understand this experience that I had. And I told to my trainer, let's meet once in a week and talk about those stuff. Your trainer for jiu-jitsu? From jiu-jitsu, okay. yeah. And it, uh, then he told me that he believed in Jesus and I would thought to myself, wow, this is amazing. I really want to learn about Jesus. And I told him, I hope there is a New Testament in Hebrew so I can read. Really? So he gave me the New Testament and I start to read the Bible and the New Testament. And I start to realize that there is a big disconnection with what the Bible said and what, for example, the rabbi said. Okay. There is a lot of things that not going through. And when I start to meet with my trainer, we start to go through uh, the prophets. The prophecies. Uh, the prophecies about the Messiah. Okay. And it was amazing that I, most of the time, I understand the prophecies and saw Jesus there before even my trainer saw, uh, told, told me, you about him. Told me about him, yeah. Wow. So in time, after I think six months, I start to share it with my friends and I don't believe in Jesus. Okay. And um, it's given me a lot of confidence to do it because of the martial arts. 
I could defend myself ah. if I needed. Because here, it's not an easy thing to do, share the gospel. Not at all. Especially, I was 16 back then. So, especially back then, when you're in a school and there's a lot of society and everybody believes in one thing and you're going uh, the opposite way. Right. So... The, the actually martial arts give me a lot of confidence and actually I saw a lot of things that connecting with, uh, with the gospel, for example, to believe, have a faith uh, in what God, for example, that uh, God can do anything in your life. So it's give me a faith that I can be a champion, for example, Okay. and, and stuff like this. Yes. And uh, So what, what kind of challenges did you face? as you started to come to the idea that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures, what kind of challenges did you face? Um, I think it was understand that a God can come as a human being. Ah, it's that's a, a big one. That's a yeah, big stumbling block th th for this people here. Big, in yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big and big, and it was hard for me to explain, but I think... If God can do anything, so it answers the question. Let God be God. Yeah, He, 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 can, he can come as a human being. Right. And, and we also see through the Old Testament that He appeared as a man in various places. Exactly. And spoke in the first person of God. Actually, in my shirt, there is reading, Betzalmenu. In our image. In our image, God talking to, to that He did Adam. And he said, as we are, yes. but he said it in... Uh, in plural. In, in plural, yeah. Make man in our, let's, let us make man in our image. Yeah, in our image. Right. So there's like a couple... Like, what does our understand mean? Him. What is our as a God? Right. So, yeah. Yes. So, you come to faith in Yeshua. Yes. You have to tell your parents. You have to talk about this with your friends. I mean, what happens? You, you competed as a, as a... In your martial arts yes. and jiu-jitsu... What happened surrounding all this time? Well, uh, one week after I get in faith, I won Israel, Israel Championship. What? After two times that I couldn't win it, I was second place. So one week after I get in faith, I won Israel Championship. And I think after three days, I start to tell everybody. Wow. I start to tell everybody, especially to my parents. And it was hard because my father is uh, uh, very uh, atheist. He, oh, atheist, yeah. Atheist, yeah. So it, it, we had a lot of uh, arguments about it, but after one year of actually um, researching this area, yes. uh, I feel comfortable so I can uh, argue about those stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think that's so important because with, with belief in Jesus, we are told from the Bible to actually study our faith. Yes, exactly. And learn about our faith. Exactly. And not just accept it because we feel it. Yes, 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 yes. You, you want to have a solid foundation in the faith. So I think, I think with that, um, after I tell my friends and my parents, after I think two weeks, everybody starts to realize that something changed in my life. What changed in you? I start to be more humble, uh -huh. more forgiving. As, More a, as a, a jiu-jitsu champion, champion, it's yeah. hard to be humble, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. Um, I remember I was when I was got a, like when I start to compete, I I was very rude to other people with me, the training with me, and I was the youngest, 
and the lightest and I was winning guys like two times uh, the weight of me. Yeah. So after I got in faith, I was start, start to respect other. I am as uh, I start to act as a leader, mm. start to sh- help other. And I think it's because I start to understand that I, I, I be forgiving about my sins and You've I don't deserve forgiven. it. Yeah. Wow. And it's like an open check that everything you do, you're just forgiven. And even if you try not to sin, you still sin, but you don't feel anymore that you were like sort of a, a slave of a, a slave sin. to sin and you don't yes, live in the sin exactly. anymore. Exactly. And, yeah. and I just was, want to say to God, thank you. I'm not deserving but thank you. Wow. And I want to share this experience with others. Yeah, so in English was, we call that contrition, where, you, where your heart is broken for what you did against God. Exactly. Yeah, that's incredible. So he changed you from the inside out. He gave you a new heart. He gave you his Holy Spirit, which is something that you were telling me about earlier. Yes, I, I started to respect us. I started to love others as a, a trainer, as, as a somebody who was uh, training in the gym. I start to um, help to the beginners. Mm. And every time you go to the gym, the beginners are like... Arrogant. Arrogant, go away, you don't understand. So I start to actually take the beginners, come, I will teach you everything. I will help you to get inside everything. And uh, it's helped me like to understand that I'm, as as a beginner that I see in the gym, this is the look that God looks at me as a beginner in, in everything. Wow. You understand? So you, you, you became what, fifth in the, in the country? Fifth in the world. In your class? Until age 21, 70 kilogram. Fifth in the world fifth in, in jiu-jitsu. The world. So yeah. we don't want to mess with this guy. No, just tell me if there is a problem with somebody else. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm no. just kidding. So, so I mean, that's, that's a huge achievement. Yes, yes. Actually, in my, when I competed, I had always a verse in my back of the... The jiu-jitsu, the gi. Uh, yeah. yeah, I always have a verse or, or a Bible just verse. a Bible verse or Jesus is the Messiah, stuff like wow. this. So I had the opportunity with the Israeli national team share the gospel. I could share with them and uh, we had a great talk back then. Wow. And I, I stopped to train uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, but sometimes I train to other people and uh, one of my trainees got to like fifth... Uh, third place in Europe. Wow, nice, nice. You know, you live here in Israel like like I do. And you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with people, to live in Israel as a Jewish believer in Jesus, which is wonderful because it's growing now. Amen. The, the, The community of Jewish believers is growing here in Israel. And you do a lot of work also to help share the gospel with other Jewish people. Yes, I'm working in the media. And um, I'm sharing to the media and actually, mm-hmm. you know, we just talk with some other friends. Yeah, just sharing my opinions. Yeah. Like God is in me. Yeah. So we just, I'm not controlled, just sharing. And, you know, as a friend, you always uh, recommend to somebody else about something. Right. So I always tell, tell to my friends, I always recommend you about Jesus. Okay, we're out of time, right out of time, right up against the edge. Hunty's edgy, edgy, <laughs> edgy. Let's, let's have our beautiful last song, which this testament is all about, Near My God to Thee.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do want to be nearer to you. Bless us with that experience. Bless our listeners now. May they know you and Jesus Christ whom you sent. In his precious name, amen. My name's Lloyd Groleman and I'm the Aussie pastor. And my name's Hunty, man in black, and we love you. But God loves you so much more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv 